Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today, like so many other days here in Virtual Legality, the Activision Blizzard logo is on your screen. We've got so many stories about Activision Blizzard going simultaneously now. Of course, this all started with a lawsuit against the company made by the state of California, later doubled up on by the EEOC. We've also got unionization efforts, which I will likely talk about in the future. But today... As indicated in the playlist, Microsoft Times Activision, we are going to be talking about Microsoft's pending acquisition of Activision for just under $70 billion. Now, as you can tell from the playlist, if you haven't been in virtual legality with us before or for a while, we've looked at this particular deal from a number of different angles, including most recently the angle of how this deal all came about as told to us by Activision in what's called a preliminary proxy statement, a draft form of document that will eventually be used to solicit the votes of its shareholders to approve the deal. And we talked about that process because, frankly, it was interesting. And in that video, one of the things that I mentioned was shareholders might find this even more interesting than I do because it certainly seems like the deal was rushed through, maybe because Microsoft had a real honest-to-God, pressure-filled doomsday timer that they put on Activision, or because Activision's board management and officers really, really wanted to get out of things, including the man of the hour, as we've talked about so often, Mr. Bobby Kotick. Now, as indicated there, I thought shareholders might take an interest in it, and indeed, shareholders have taken an interest in it. Many thanks to Polygon for finding this particular lawsuit out, and for the number of you that sent this to me on social media and in other avenues. Activision Blizzard shareholder sues over Microsoft sale. The shareholder is suing Activision Blizzard and its board of directors. Now that headline is good. That headline is accurate. It also probably frames this particular lawsuit out a little too broadly. One of the things I said in that earlier video was, hey, this is the kind of process that a shareholder might take offense to. We talked about the business judgment rule. We talked about board of directors and their fiduciary duties. This lawsuit is actually significantly more narrowly tailored, even though the language that the lawsuit uses is broad. Uh, and the reason for that would appear to be that this particular plaintiff is a stockholder in Activision and really doesn't like this deal, doesn't like the $95, and is going to attack it in any way that they can find. So let's take a look at their opening paragraph, then we'll dive into the law a little bit before coming back to why this plaintiff feels this way. Plaintiff brings this stockholder action against Activision Blizzard and the company's board of directors for violations of sections 14A and 20A of the Securities and Exchange Act of 1934 as a result of defendants' efforts to sell the company to Microsoft as a result of an unfair process and to enjoin an upcoming stockholder vote on a proposed all-cash transaction valued at approximately $68.7 billion. Now, you see the saber rattling. You see the threat here in the first paragraph that he seeks to enjoin the upcoming stockholder vote. And this deal can't proceed without stockholder approval of this particular transaction. But that's really the saber. Instead, what you've got here, and we're going to look at this laws, Section 14A and 20A of the Securities and Exchange Act of 1934, is something targeted very specifically at the preliminary proxy statement that we looked at in that earlier video. So if we look at 14A here, we see it shall be unlawful for any person in contravention of such rules and regulations as the commission may prescribe to solicit or to permit the use of his name to solicit any proxy or consent. Now that doesn't say much, right? In legal lease, it effectively says, hey, if you break the rules that the SEC puts forth, that's the commission uh, in this context, then 
it'll be unlawful, it'll be illegal. Somebody can come after you. But we don't know what the rules are. We don't know what the regulations are. And there are a number of them, as you might expect, from a commission like the SEC. But for the most part, and we will see this later on in this lawsuit, folks bring this kind of claim against a proxy statement under the rules that mirror 10b-5. If you haven't been with us in virtual legality talking about 10b-5 before, that's the rule that basically says you can't lie when you file something publicly to the SEC. Here, in Rule 240.14a-9, we see that 10b-5 concept applied to proxy statements. No solicitation subject to this regulation shall be made by means of any proxy statement containing any statement which, at the time and in the light of the circumstances under which it is made, is false or misleading with respect to any material fact, or which omits to state any material fact necessary in order to make the statements therein not false or misleading. You can't hide the ball. Just like in Rule 10b-5, you can't lie directly, and you can't forget to mention something that's important that makes what is otherwise true and in the document that you're putting forth, maybe not so true if everyone had the full context. So that's what this lawsuit is brought against, and it's brought against this preliminary proxy statement. Now, what's unusual about that from my perspective, and here I have to disclaim, I'm not a class action plaintiff's attorney on securities matters. I'm not a mergers and acquisitions litigator. I'm putting these deals together. I'm not breaking them apart. And so when I look at this, I look at this and say, well, this seems a little bit premature, right? This is a preliminary proxy statement. And we looked at this. Obviously, I have my own thoughts on the process that Activision undertook. How Phil Hustled Bobby pretty much says it all from that earlier video. But when I said that, it was because I thought that potentially a shareholder could have an issue with how Bobby Kotick and how the board conducted themselves. We'll see that represented in this lawsuit, but that isn't actually what this lawsuit is about. This lawsuit is about whether or not Activision told its shareholders correctly how the deal went down, as well as other aspects that may be more pertinent than that. Now, why I say that I think it might be premature, it's because of the preliminary nature of the proxy statement. See, the SEC requires, in a different rule, a filer to give five preliminary copies of a proxy statement and form of proxy to the commission at least 10 calendar days prior to the date definitive copies of such material are first sent to a given security holder. That's a stockholder. That's the plaintiff in this particular case. And if we look at when this was filed, we see that the preliminary proxy statement was filed on February 18th, which according to commission rules means that Activision can't even send out definitive proxies until February 28th. And in a deal this size, the SEC might actually screen this particular proxy statement, ask for changes of its own, have conversations with Activision starting during this 10-day window. They do this kind of thing early so that that process can unfold and they can get the deal done on the timeline that they want. For those of you that aren't familiar with these big mergers and acquisitions, this is the kind of regulatory compliance that companies have to go through. They have to do these preliminary statements. They have to go through screening with the SEC. They have to go through a Hart Scott Rudino filing with the FTC or the DOJ. They have to work with 17 other jurisdictions. I believe that's the number that Microsoft has put forth to get the deal approved. That's why closing is a while after signing. People ask me that all the time. And logistically, of course, you've got two massive companies that are coming together, which also have their own conditions and requirements and contracts to move, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why you see Microsoft say, we're going to try to get this deal done by the summer of next year because they have a lot of people to talk to to make sure this all goes through smoothly. But as far as I'm concerned looking at this lawsuit, you're going to file a lawsuit against this company for unlawfully using a solicitation proxy 
but they haven't yet. They filed a preliminary document with the SEC. That solicitation can't even go out to stockholders for 10 days from when it was filed. This seems a little bit premature, but of course, by the time a lawsuit like this were to come to fruition, you would expect some version of the proxy statement to be out there. I don't know how Activision Blizzard might choose to fight this. We've got a quote from Polygon at the end that I will talk to you about towards the end of the video, but Activision doesn't really say anything other than this is wrong. And so we look at this and we say, okay, let's just assume that this is valid and let's assume that this can move forward without kind of a mootness complaint on the Activision Blizzard side, et cetera, et cetera. The terms of the proposed transaction were memorialized in a January 18th, 2022 filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission on Form 8K, attaching the definitive agreement and plan of merger. Under the terms of the merger agreement, Microsoft will acquire all of the remaining outstanding shares of Activision's common stock at a price of $95 per share in cash. As a result, Activision will become an indirect, wholly owned subsidiary of Microsoft. And that all seems completely accurate. $95 per share in cash to all stockholders. Thereafter, on February 18th, 2022, Activision filed a preliminary proxy statement with the SEC in support of the proposed transaction. And the proposed transaction is unfair for a number of reasons. Significantly, the preliminary proxy statement describes an insufficient process in which the Activision board failed to create an independent committee composed of disinterested directors to run the sales process. Now, I want to stop here, right? Because it's important to actually note what this lawsuit is about. This lawsuit is actually alleging that Activision didn't properly describe how it operated in its proxy statement and not that the deal itself and the process that led to the deal were unfair. This paragraph jumps out at me as effectively being part of a different lawsuit. And it's a lawsuit that I still think could happen because as Activision describes it, it did happen very fast. You can accuse certain people of operating in their own best interest and not the best interest of the shareholders. But this isn't about that process from November to January. This is about the process of drafting the proxy statement. So here you kind of get the plaintiff showing his cards a little bit. He doesn't like this deal, presumably because he doesn't like the $95 cash price, but it could be for any number of reasons. He doesn't like this deal and he slips in that the process itself was unfair, even though this lawsuit is gonna talk about Activision not revealing enough about the process. So I think you already have a kind of difficulty here early on in the lawsuit. Why? Because whether or not this process was unfair is separate from whether or not Activision talked to you about the process sufficiently to avoid lying or omitting a material fact. Paragraph five, additionally, it appears as though the board has entered into the proposed transaction to procure for themselves and senior management of the company significant and immediate benefits. For instance, pursuant to the terms of the merger agreement upon the consummation of the proposed transaction, company board members and executive officers will be able to exchange all company equity awards for the merger consideration. And indeed, that's in general how a merger will work. Again, paragraph four is talking about the unfairness of it all in a lawsuit that doesn't exist yet. Paragraph five talking similarly about conflict points, which kind of relate to what we will see this plaintiff argue as missing from the proxy statement itself. But even here, I look at this and say, yes, employees who hold options are gonna have those options converted. Microsoft isn't terribly interested in having its existing shareholders at Activision be shareholders of Microsoft. This is an all cash transaction for a reason. And ostensibly holding options or shareholdings at the board or company level is aligning their interests with those of the other shareholders who are also gonna get paid the same amount. So we're already in kind of dicey territory for unfairness here, but we continue on. 
In violation of the Exchange Act, defendants caused to be filed the materially deficient preliminary proxy statement with the SEC in an effort to solicit plaintiff to vote his Activision shares in favor of the proposed transaction. Now, this is somewhat true. That preliminary proxy statement, if it were just passed off by the SEC, no screening, after 10 days could go out with the dates filled in and some other stuff filled in to the shareholders directly, but it hasn't happened as of yet. The preliminary proxy statement is materially deficient, deprives plaintiff of the information necessary to make an intelligent, informed, and rational decision of whether to vote in favor of the proposed transaction, and is thus in violation of the Exchange Act. As detailed below, the preliminary proxy statement omits and or misrepresents material information concerning, among other things, the sales process, and in particular, certain conflicts of interest for management, the financial projections for Activision provided by the company to the company's financial advisor, Allen & Company, and the data and inputs underlying the financial valuation analyses, if any, that purport to support the fairness opinion created by Allen & Company and provided to the board. Now, we already talked about the sales process. This plaintiff's going to talk about it a little bit more fulsomely as we proceed through this document, which isn't very long. And then we talk about financial projections and the data and inputs. Now, those actually ring a little bit truer to me. We're going to see exactly what this plaintiff is alleging. But the overall thrust of that is, as we talked about in that earlier video, and please do check it out if you're interested in more of the details around this sales process, one of the things that happened as part of it was that Allen & Company, the financial advisors to Activision, and the internal folks at Activision worked on financial projections, worked on certain details of information to give to the board, to give to Microsoft, and that would help set the price for what the board thinks is reasonable, for what Microsoft thinks is reasonable. One of the things that I noted in that earlier video was that Activision essentially cut off a conversation between someone that's essentially described as eager to converse with Activision about buying them because it was the same day that Microsoft was signing up, didn't share that information with them. And a shareholder that's looking at a proxy statement like this says, hey, I want to know whether $95 is fair. And now you're talking about a bunch of information that was given to the board, that was given to Microsoft, that was internally created, that I don't know. And that's kind of cloaked in a shadow of darkness. And so I can't tell you whether $95 is fair. We will see in this particular complaint that one of plaintiff's arguments is that Activision is a very successful company and is going to be very successful into the future. You don't have to agree with that. But the plaintiff is clearly coming from the position that says, I don't know why we're selling it all. Uh, obviously, we had some troubles in 2021, but I think that this deal is unfair and I can't adjudge it for myself because you're talking about all this extra information that I don't have. And that to me seems to be more legitimate than, hey, you didn't tell us who's conflicted and who's not when you told us the identities of everyone that was involved in these conversations. That's easy enough to check for myself. Accordingly, this action seeks to enjoin the proposed transaction. Absent judicial intervention, the proposed transaction will be consummated, resulting in irreparable injury to plaintiff. Now, that I also don't agree with, right? Irreparable injury is something that can't be solved with money. If the court turned around and said, you're right, it's not 95, you should have gotten 195, that can be cured 10 years from now with the right amount of money and potentially interest payments and the like. We call those reparable injuries in the law because ultimately what we're talking about is monetary damages. But this plaintiff's trying to put his strongest foot forward. We see here plaintiff is a citizen of Tennessee and at all times relevant here too, has been an Activision stockholder. Someone asked me if there was a threshold to how many shares you had to hold to bring these kinds of lawsuits. The answer is no. Uh, but certainly if you want to claim damages or something along those lines, the more invested you are in a company, the more likely it is a lawsuit might be a good idea for you. Certainly at lower amounts, the lawyers tend to eat up that, uh, that money. 
the time commitment is overly long, so you don't necessarily see one share uh, making these kinds of suits, but who knows? He doesn't state how many shares he holds in Activision, which is at least a little bit of a yellow flag, uh, and this might be some kind of activist uh, law firm type plaintiff that is designed to make these kinds of issues out of these kinds of situations. Here he talks about the parties. We know the parties. Here he talks about jurisdiction and venue. And then we get into some substantive allegations. Activision Blizzard Inc. is an American video game holding company based in Santa Monica, California. The company's most recent financial performance press release revealing financial results from the quarter preceding the announcement of the proposed transaction indicated sustained and solid performance. For example, in the November 2, 2021 press release announcing the 2021 quarter three financial results, the company highlighted such milestones as net revenues presented in accordance with GAAP worth $2.7 billion as compared with $1.95 billion during the third quarter of 2020. Speaking on these positive results, CEO defendant Kodik commented on the company's positive financial results. I'm pleased to report strong third quarter results ahead of our prior outlook. We are excited about this week's Call of Duty launch and expect continued success in the fourth quarter. I want to thank our employees for their continued commitment to each other, the company, and our players, and we look forward to sharing progress updates on our workplace initiatives alongside our business performance, which, of course, is referring to the troubles of 2021, California, and the EEOC. Now, importantly from that paragraph, as I know a number of you know watching or listening to this, is that that statement came before Call of Duty Vanguard was released, and part of this story certainly part of the story as Activision presents it in its preliminary proxy statement is that Call of Duty Vanguard wasn't super strong and that the company had to adjust after the fourth quarter, changed their projections downward as described in that proxy statement. And this stockholder says, well, if that's the case, I would like to see more of that information. I can't really doubt them on that. I think that's a fair request when the last official statement on financials was everything's going great. These positive results are not an anomaly, says the plaintiff, but rather are indicative of a trend of continued financial success and future potential success by Activision. Clearly, based upon these positive financial results and outlook, the company is likely to have tremendous future success. Now, the court really doesn't have to take this into account, but certainly us on the outside can say, I don't know. A lot of Activision stuff, a little creaky in its old age. Call of Duty pressing a little bit. Vanguard not super successful, But again, note that all of this is effectively trying to set up that the deal is bad. And that's fine, except that that's not what you're suing over. You're suing over the company lied to me in its proxy statement, which hasn't been delivered to me as of yet. And yet I'm going to come out here to the court and try to explain why this deal is bad overall. The flawed sales process is the next section. As detailed in the preliminary proxy statement, the process deployed by the individual defendants was flawed and inadequate, was conducted out of the self-interest of the individual defendants, and was designed with only one concern in mind to effectuate a sale of the company by any means possible. Frankly, I can agree with that particular description of the events as Activision itself has put forth. But the reason that that paragraph can even be said and the fact that I can agree with it is because Activision told me how it went. That was information that was presented in the proxy statement. That was information we covered in an hour-long video here in virtual legality. It might well be a bad deal, but that's a lawsuit you bring is effectively a breach of fiduciary duties on the part of the board in actually conducting the transaction itself, not in how they drafted the proxy statement describing it. 
paragraph 33. Notably, while the preliminary proxy statement makes reference to an ad hoc committee, it fails to provide adequate information regarding whether this ad hoc committee was a committee composed of independent and disinterested board members and tasked with running the sales process. It is not surprising, given this background to the overall sales process, that it was conducted in an inappropriate and misleading manner. That's the actual process itself, not how Activision describes it. Again, not terribly useful to the lawsuit in front of us, but you can see what this plaintiff is potentially trying to set up, right? I talked in that video about the business judgment rule that $95 almost certainly falls within the realm of fairness. It's a substantial marginal increase over the share price as it was trading that day when Activision agreed to the deal with Microsoft. So it's going to fall within the realm of a fair price. But here the plaintiff is trying to set up what I would describe as a future potential lawsuit. And that is claiming that this process was hopefully conflicted. And if you can get into framing out a transaction as conflict, as a conflict transaction under Delaware law, well, then you can find yourself with something potentially to grasp onto in a formal lawsuit alleging breach of fiduciary duties by the board of directors. Or as I believe this is a Harvard paper calls out, Generally speaking, when a company engages in an arm's length transaction, the decisions of its board of directors are examined under the well-known business judgment rule, which works to protect individual directors from being second-guessed by a court. Exactly what I told you in that earlier video. However, board decisions in respective conflict transactions may not receive the deference normally accorded by the business judgment rule and instead may be assessed under a stricter judicial lens. The default standard of review for conflict transactions is quote-unquote entire fairness, which is Delaware's most onerous standard of review. That's the most likely for a court to find a problem with. It imposes the burden of proof upon directors to show the fairness of both the price and process of the transaction they approved. Conflict transactions where a court will review a board's actions under the entire fairness standard occur in three primary areas, as described here uh, in this Harvard article. First, when a majority of the board either A, has an interest in the decision or transaction that differs from the stockholders in general, or B, lacks independence from or is dominated by an interested party. So you can see this. I've highlighted it in red here. Uh, you can see that the claim would probably be something along the lines of Bobby Kotick dominates the board. They do what he says, and he is an interested party, not only because of financial considerations that he will receive after this deal is closed, but also because of the situation that he found himself in with people calling for his firing. It's not simply going from his current situation to the new. It's also what he risked losing and could be an argument for why he was acting on his own behalf instead of on behalf of the shareholders and with total dominance of the board of directors. That's how you try to establish that this is a conflict transaction and it didn't have proper safety mechanisms and that the court should review it on an entire fairness basis. The other two areas I don't think are going to be at issue here when the transaction is one where the directors are on both sides. Uh, that would be essentially if Bobby Kotick were taking it private himself or another board member were doing that themselves, they were on both sides of the transaction, or when a controlling stockholder receives additional consideration to the detriment of the other stockholders. None of these folks are controlling stockholders at the board level. This is a public company where even a lot of money to be made by one of these individuals like Mr. Bobby Kotick isn't actually a controlling stake in the company itself. So I think what you're looking at is some kind of argument where you claim Bobby Kotick dominates the other board members, the board members go along with him, and he has an interest that differs materially from that of the stockholders. 
This article continues. I'm not going to go over all of it. I will, of course, link it in the description. When analyzing a transaction to determine whether it satisfies the entire fairness standard, a Delaware court will consider both process, fair dealing, and price, fair price, although the inquiry is not a bifurcated one. Rather, all aspects of the process and price are considered holistically in evaluating the fairness of the transaction. If that sounds a little vague, that's what it is. It's a court saying, hmm, did this process actually meet our standards of following your fiduciary duties, and did you get to a price that's normal-ish? Notably, a fair price has been described as follows. A fair price does not mean the highest price financeable or the highest price that fiduciary could afford to pay. At least in the non-self-dealing context, it means a price that is one that a reasonable seller under all of the circumstances would regard as within a range of fair value, one that such a seller could reasonably accept. I don't think there is any question that $95 is a price that a seller could reasonably accept. It's just not a maximizing price, which is where the fair dealing concept comes in. Was this something that was too conflicted out? Should the court step in? And all of these questions are super interesting, right? Except they don't actually apply to whether or not the board properly drafted its proxy statement. So it's all preparing for something that is not in this document itself. Then we get to the proposed transaction where the plaintiff actually copies the press release uh, for a number of paragraphs. I don't know why that was done, but that's what it is. Potential conflicts of interest. The breakdown of the benefits of the deal indicate that Activision insiders are the primary beneficiaries of the proposed transaction, not the company's public stockholders such as plaintiff. Now that's a heck of an assertion, again, talking about the conflict itself, but also the fact that this paragraph can be made is suggestive of the fact that Activision did disclose material information in its preliminary proxy statement. So we just find ourselves in a weird place with this lawsuit. The board and the company's executive officers are conflicted because they will have secured unique benefits for themselves from the proposed transaction not available to plaintiff as a public stockholder of Activision. Notably, company insiders currently own large illiquid portions of company stock. It's unclear why this is framed as illiquid other than perhaps vesting components that he's referencing. Doesn't make a ton of sense to me because this is a public company. Generally speaking, while you do have certain rules around how much you can liquidate uh, in an insider position, they are considered liquid for the most part. While the preliminary proxy statement provides the following information, it fails to provide an accounting of the consideration that will be paid to company insiders for these shares. That to me is a ridiculous assertion, right? You've given the number of shares owed. You have a $95 flat price. This is easily obtained by a stockholder. This is not being hidden at all. You want to know how much Daniel Allegri is going to make? You multiply his total shares by 95, and that's the number that he's going to make. So again, we've got this kind of attenuated situation where this plaintiff is trying to claim all of this missing information when, in my opinion, for the most part, you're going to be able to say, hey, uh, shareholder, you can you can find all this stuff out by doing some simple uh, mathematics. In addition, company insiders currently own company options, restricted stock units, and other equity awards, all of which will be exchanged for the murder consideration upon the consummation of the proposed transaction. That's merger consideration, not murder consideration. No accusations of that at Activision so far, I don't think. Some get a little close. Paragraph 39, moreover, certain employment agreements with certain Activision executives Entitle such executives to severance packages should their employment be terminated under certain circumstances. These golden parachute packages are significant and will grant each director or officer entitled to them millions of dollars compensation not shared by plaintiff 
and will be paid out as follows. Now that makes a certain number of assumptions that the compensation that would otherwise be paid in respect of these golden parachutes would otherwise have been paid as purchase price uh, for the company, even though that's probably not a great assertion because at least some people are going to be needed to transition the company, et cetera, et cetera. The cash that they are to receive for golden parachutes or whatever else you want to frame these payments as is ostensibly in respect of the services that they're providing to the company and not in respect of their shareholdings. You don't have to believe that. You don't have to agree with that. But certainly at a $70 billion purchase price level, these numbers don't shock the conscience of somebody looking at them uh, from the outside. Some of this comes from a place where I think the plaintiff just doesn't like the deal, doesn't like the $95, doesn't like his management, doesn't like the board. And that's totally fine. A lot of people don't like Activision management or the board or Bobby Kotick or anyone else, but you still have to operate within the parameters of your lawsuit and what you're alleging. The preliminary proxy statement also fails to adequately disclose communications regarding post-transaction employment during the negotiation of the underlying transaction that must be disclosed to stockholders. Communications regarding post-transaction employment during the negotiation of the underlying transaction must be disclosed. This information is necessary for plaintiff to understand potential conflicts of interest of management and the board, as that information provides illumination concerning motivations. To some extent, I agree. I think these are pretty standard kind of transition services packages for people that Microsoft doesn't intend to keep around uh, very long. But certainly you could get additional information here. And as we'll see, that's the most likely outcome of a lawsuit like this is effectively a revised version of the proxy statement or supplemental materials being added to the proxy process. Thus, and paragraph 41 is pretty strong, the proposed transaction is not in the best interest of Activision, Planet for company stockholders, it will produce lucrative benefits for the company's officers and directors. Almost all of which aren't exactly tied to the stockholdings themselves. $95 for a share of common stock. You get it if you're a manager. You get it if you're a director. You get it if you're a stockholder uh, in some random city here in the United States or elsewhere around the world. Very difficult to make this complaint. Also not pertinent to what's in the proxy statement itself and whether it is itself misleading. So... Now we get to the complaint about what this lawsuit actually alleges. Paragraph 42. On February 18th, 2022, the Activision board caused to be filed with the SEC the materially misleading and incomplete preliminary proxy statement that, in violation of the Exchange Act, failed to provide plaintiff in his capacity as a company stockholder with material information and or provides materially misleading information critical to the total mix of information available to plaintiff concerning the financial and procedural fairness of the proposed transaction. Another paragraph that says exactly what you said above says, hey, they lied to me in the preliminary proxy statement. It is in violation of the Exchange Act, presumably because it leads me down the primrose path and they're trying to solicit my vote, which they haven't done yet. But here's what I think is a problem. First, the plaintiff alleges that the proxy statement fails to disclose A, specific information regarding if the ad hoc committee of the board was a committee composed of independent and disinterested board members. So you see a reference in the preliminary proxy statement to one of them being an independent board member. You can tell Bobby Kotick's a part of the ad hoc committee. You know these various things. If you think that's a conflict plaintiff, you can identify that for yourself. Otherwise, you're not actually alleging a conflict here. You're just alleging a proxy statement issue. So again, I think we find ourselves in that place where you put a paragraph in that says, I can't tell how much money these people are making. All they gave me was the share number. And it's just a little bit disingenuous on its faith. B, communications regarding post-transaction employment during the negotiation of the underlying transaction that must be disclosed, et cetera, et cetera. We saw that alleged above. Again, it doesn't bother me if this information gets shared. I'm not sure. 
that the lack of it actually provides a complaint of this type with a lot of footing to hold fast on. 44, the preliminary proxy statement fails to provide material information concerning financial projections for Activision provided by Activision management to the board and Allen and Company. The preliminary proxy statement discloses management prepared financial projections for the company, which are materially misleading. Notably, the preliminary proxy statement reveals that as a part of its analyses, Allen and Company reviewed certain internal financial forecasts, estimates, and other financial and operating data related to Activision Blizzard provided to or discussed with Allen and Company by the management. Therefore, the preliminary proxy statement should have, but fails to provide, certain information in the projections that Activision management provided to the board and Allen and Company. Courts have uniformly stated that projections are probably among the most highly prized disclosures by investors. Investors can come up with their own estimates of discount rates or market multiples. What they cannot hope to do is replicate management's inside view of the company's prospects. With regard to the long-range plan projections, which is a phrase we saw Activision create effectively for sharing with Microsoft and Microsoft's evaluation of the price that they were willing to pay, the preliminary proxy statement fails to disclose material line items including revenue, and operating income. With regard to the management forecasts, it fails to include revenue, EBIT, adjusted EBITDA, which are accounting frameworks we're not going to go into too depthfully here, but information that this plaintiff thinks is important. And the preliminary proxy statement also fails to disclose a reconciliation of non-GAAP to GAAP metrics. This information is necessary to provide plaintiff in his capacity as a company stockholder with a complete and accurate picture of the sales process and its fairness. Without this information, plaintiff is not fully informed as to defendant's actions, including those that may have been taken in bad faith, just dropping that in there, and cannot fairly assess the process. Without accurate projection data presented in the preliminary proxy statement, plaintiff is unable to properly evaluate the company's true worth, the accuracy of Allen & Company's financial analyses, or make an informed decision whether to vote in favor of the proposed transaction. As such, the board has violated the Exchange Act by failing to include such information in the preliminary proxy statement. Now, you have a lot of statements. You have a lot of frameworks. We haven't gone into the financial portions uh, of the proxy statement. I will say just on its face, I'm not a shareholder in Activision. Obviously, I wouldn't be making these videos if I were, but I can see a little bit more of a reasonable argument that, okay, you've got this basis that you have decided that $95 is acceptable. All of this is happening very rapidly between November and January of this year. And you're looking at these things. I can't see them as a stockholder. You're telling me $95 is fair. Allen and company is telling me $95 is fair. I want to see the receipts. I want to see how Allen and company arrives at it being fair. I want to see what Activision was looking at when they talk about their long range plan, because they say they had to downwardly adjust all of the estimates that they had and that this was shown to the board. This was shown to Microsoft in establishing what the acceptable price would be for the company. I, as a stockholder, am entitled to that information. I don't necessarily disagree. I do disagree with overall holding up the deal for it, but I don't think that that's a very likely outcome of this lawsuit in any event, and we'll talk about why uh, in just a minute. Finally, we get to the later paragraphs here in the preliminary proxy statement. Allen & Company describes its fairness opinion and its various valuation analyses performed to render such opinion. However, the descriptions fail to include necessary underlying data. With respect to the selected public companies analyses, we don't get metrics for the comparables. We don't get to understand why only three were used. We don't get where the EBITDA multiples were coming from. Similar kinds of concepts with the selected precedent transactions analysis, the discounted cash flow analysis, the Wall Street research analysts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This plaintiff wants more financial information, wants those receipts from how the second order analysis came about. Whether or not that's warranted is largely dependent on what Activision Blizzard is willing to give and whether or not this party is actually willing to go through a protracted, elongated lawsuit or whether Activision can get it dismissed. Now, the counts here are what we would expect. 
Plaintiff repeats all previous allegations. Defendants have disseminated the preliminary proxy statement with the intention of soliciting stockholders, which is a little bit broad, I think, for an SEC filing at a preliminary level. Section 14A of the Exchange Act requires full and fair disclosure in connection with the proposed transaction. We just looked at those rules at the top of this video. The preliminary proxy statement was prepared in violation of those because it is materially misleading. In the reasonable exercise of care, defendants knew or should have known that the preliminary proxy statement is materially misleading. The individual defendants had actual knowledge of it and were at least negligent in filing the preliminary proxy statement. Then we get Section 20A of the Exchange Act, which effectively just says, if you are in charge of or controlling part of the process here, then you can get in trouble for what the company is doing, right? This is Activision Blizzard's filing, but here it says every person who directly or indirectly controls any person liable under any provision of this chapter shall also be liable jointly and severally, which is fancy legal terminology for you're also on the hook for whatever Activision Blizzard might be on the hook for. And again, if there is substance here, if there is a legitimate claim that a court would find I do think that at least certain aspects of the board of directors probably also liable under those rules because somebody is writing these things. Activision Blizzard is a legal fiction. It cannot draft things. It cannot write documents. It cannot file them. Certain individuals are in charge of that process and could be held liable on that score. Finally, we get it. the, the requests here. Plaintiff demands injunctive relief in joining the transaction in the, in the event defendants consummate rescinding it and setting it aside or awarding damages to plaintiff directing the individual defendants to comply with the Exchange Act to disseminate a preliminary proxy statement that does not contain any untrue statements, awarding plaintiff the cost of this action and granting such other further relief that the court deems just and proper. And they demand a jury trial. And again, this is filed February 24th, 2022. So before even the 10 day period from the preliminary proxy being filed with the SEC, a preliminary proxy, I think has a good chance of being screened by the SEC. We don't know uh, what the SEC's resources are, whether they're gonna care to look at that preliminary proxy statement more closely. But a lot of you ask me, will this scuttle the deal? Is this a potential problem? And the answer is any lawsuit is something that the company has to take into account. But in general, these kinds of things are usually settled with changes to the proxy statement if there's any legitimacy to their complaints. All right, we can look at, this is an article from Bloomberg Law, pleading damages in Section 14A mergers and acquisitions litigation. Hey, sometimes they're directly on point. Section 14A of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 prohibits material misrepresentations and omissions in proxy statements sent to stockholders of registered securities. Note that this wasn't sent to stockholders yet. Many Section 14A cases involving mergers and acquisitions transactions are resolved before closing, before Microsoft formally purchases Activision. Through dismissal, Activision goes and gets it kicked out because it's not substantive enough. It's not actually pleading what it purports to be pleading, et cetera, et cetera. Supplemental disclosures, changing the proxy statement, and or settlement. When a section 14a case is not resolved before closing, the complaint must satisfy rigorous threshold pleading standards to proceed. To survive a motion to dismiss under the federal rules of civil procedure, the section 14a plaintiff must plead enough facts to state a claim that is plausible on its face, a standard that requires more than labels and conclusions. In addition, the heightened pleading requirements of the Private Litigation Securities Reform Act requires that any section 14a complaint specify each allegedly misleading statement explain the reason or reasons that the statement is misleading. And if an allegation is made upon information and belief, all facts with particularity upon which that belief is formed. So as of it stands right now, we don't have that particularity. So as I look at this, and this is a very long article, you can look at it uh, at uh, on your own. I will link it in the description. As I look at this, what I see is a plaintiff that more likely than not is trying to get the proxy statement changed. They believe that the information that was denied them is important 
And you can tell from the language in the lawsuit itself that this plaintiff is against the deal and thinks that if the proxy statement has a little bit more information, if it's made a little bit more clear that there potentially was a problem in the process, that the finances aren't exactly what the board was telling us in kind of summary form in that document, that other shareholders, other investors could be convinced of the problems with the deal itself. So I don't see this as a lawsuit that is likely to, as it stands right now, survive that kind of dismissal, certainly after closing, as described with these standards that we're looking at in these various places, but also could still get Activision Blizzard on the phone, have them change certain aspects of the preliminary statement so that the definitive statement that actually does go out and solicit shareholders for their votes is something closer to what the plaintiff thinks is important to convincing his fellow investors not to vote this up. But as it stands right now, I just don't see a lot of threat to Activision Blizzard. The last paragraph I wanted to highlight for you in this particular article, Section 14A is not a post-closing opportunity for plaintiffs to litigate or relitigate vague and unsupported allegations that the transaction consideration was inadequate. Quoting a specific case here, a plaintiff is not to be allowed to extort a settlement by reason of the defendants having to incur heavy litigation expenses if the suit proceeds beyond the pleading stage, even if it is a groundless suit. In evaluating the damages standard set forth in Section 14A pleading cases, it is important to consider the specific nature of the alleged misrepresentations or omissions and their relation to the harm alleged in the complaint. Specific material misrepresentations that go to the heart of the transaction and cause economic loss must be alleged. Quoting another case, in any private action, or I believe this is a code provision actually, arising under this chapter, the plaintiffs shall have the burden of proving that the act or omission of defendant alleged to violate this chapter caused the loss for which the plaintiff seeks to recover damages. So what we've got is a lawsuit that is very broad. Much of its ink is spent on establishing that they feel that the process was unfair, which doesn't go to whether or not the proxy statement is lying to the other stockholders or not. And in that, you can see a potential future lawsuit. You can see them trying to drive Activision to change certain aspects of the proxy statement and potentially signal potential problems into the future, but that ultimately isn't terribly likely to cause much difficulty for Activision Blizzard or Microsoft in respect of whether or not the deal will go through on the whole. This is all process. This is all the kind of things that you see when $70 billion is on the line, and especially when somebody doesn't much care for, presumably, the price that they will get paid for their stock. We saw when they were asking for redress at the end that if the deal is consummated, they're okay with getting damages at the end. That to me, as I addressed earlier in the video, suggests that these aren't irreparable issues. That if you can pay more money to solve them after the fact, then we aren't actually talking about those kinds of issues that the court likes to step in on. But there could be a future lawsuit. This could be setting the framework for alleging that this was a conflicted transaction that wasn't properly approved and that the courts in Delaware should be evaluating this on an entire fairness standard, not yielding specifically to the business judgment rule. The issue is this lawsuit isn't that. This lawsuit is just about the proxy statement. And as I promised, Polygon had a quote from an Activision Blizzard spokesperson. We disagree with the allegations made in this complaint and look forward to presenting our arguments to the court. So that's Activision Blizzard today. If you do enjoy conversations about the law and business of what you and I love, video gaming, software, technology, pop culture, and more, please consider supporting the channel. We cannot do it without viewers and listeners like you. We've got a Patreon for you to check out. Also, every Sunday at 11 a.m., I'm now appearing on the Season Gaming Bitcast, where we talk about 
these issues somewhat, but also the video games of the day. I'm sure that they'll be talking a lot about Elden Ring. We'll see if I can participate in that conversation at all. Otherwise, just subscribing and telling your friends that we're here, upvoting, downvoting, sharing on Reddit or Twitter or anywhere else you find yourself. Every single little bit helps get that subscriber number up. And as that subscriber number goes up, YouTube pays more attention and it grows and grows and grows. So every little bit helps. And if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. If you listen to it instead on a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.